Good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day. I heard an interesting news report this past week. It was a um, picture of the up-and-rising star and new leader of Al-Qaeda. And the news was saying that he wanted his face shown around the world. He wasn't hiding. And there was this quote, very powerful quote of his, where he said, we must destroy the cross, and America is the bearer of the cross. And I thought, what insight, what prophetic um, clarity he has in the spiritual battle that he's engaged in. But I also thought that's been tried before. He's not going to destroy the cross. I think he's a little too late. I want to begin this morning by asking the question, where is Jesus Christ? Where is Jesus Christ? The fact that he existed and was crucified is beyond dispute, isn't it? Did he somehow survive the crucifixion and the entombment and yet was never seen again? Was his body stolen away and buried in the ground, simply lost in the dust of history, as many of our atheist friends claim? Perhaps he was God, but God is now dead, as Friedrich Nietzsche is famous for saying not alive in heaven or on earth, and a lie that simply keeps us from fully coping with the darkness of our finite existence. No, the postmodernists say, he is alive, but he's unknowable. And therefore, our duty is to be eclectic and coexist, as we see many a bumper sticker around Tulsa demand of us. In light of this confusion, many people make up their own religion, don't they? Bill was telling me about George Carlin, who said of Timothy Leary's brother, who made up his own religion, that he taught that when you die, your soul goes to a garage in Buffalo. (laughs) Or is it as Jesus Christ said it would be before the high priest Caiaphas, that he would rise from the dead? and be seated at the right hand of the living God. Would you turn with me, please, to Mark 14, starting in verse 60. Mark 14, starting in verse 60. And the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus answered and said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. 
Some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Today we celebrate that this was not the end of the story. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We recount the story and we celebrate specifically that he is seated at the right hand of power. In Mark 16, just a little later, starting in verse 1, we read this, And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The title of this morning's message is Seated at the right hand of power. And we will look at Jesus before the high priest, Caiaphas, declaring his lordship and his coming exaltation. This is a passage that the commentators, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, here the majesty of Jesus breaks out. Here the majesty of Jesus breaks forth. So let's look at our text again. Mark 14, 61, the last line, and verse 62. The high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, we know of the Great Commission, don't we? In Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and so on. We also know the great commandment in Deuteronomy 6, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. But this is the great confession of Christ before the supreme religious council and high priest of that day. We will see this morning that this great confession was a declaration of his lordship. It was a proclamation of his power, and it was a promise of his soon and coming judgment. We note first the phrase, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man. Mark says that Jesus' first words to Caiaphas were simply, 
I am. Luke asks a question, or Luke records Jesus asking a question of Caiaphas and then saying, yes, I am. Matthew records Jesus as saying, you have said it yourself. John Piper does a good job with the version of Matthew, you have said so yourself, pointing out that Jesus was poking Caiaphas a little bit, basically saying, I know that deep down in your heart, you know who I am. You have said so yourself. But in Mark's version that we're using, the first two words were I am. I wonder what Caiaphas heard in those two little words. Perhaps he heard echoes of Moses before the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13, we read, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, Who, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Perhaps Caiaphas knew of Jesus' dialogue with the Jews where uh, the discussion was about Abraham and the Jews had asked Jesus, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham. And what was Jesus' response? Before Abraham was, I am, he said. Perhaps Caiaphas had heard Jesus claiming through many I am statements to be the Christ. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I don't know. Maybe Caiaphas didn't hear in those two little words all those echoes. But one thing we know, he heard blasphemy, didn't he? He heard a man claiming to be God. And he said, what else do we need? How do you hear it? And they condemned him. Jesus went farther, though, than just saying, I am. He went on to say, and you shall see the Son of Man. This is a clear reference to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel had a vision in the night, and he wrote this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." In the Jewish theological mindset of that day, everyone was aware of this vision of Daniel's. And so it was very clear to all who were hearing, including Caiaphas, that Jesus was saying that though I am in a lowly position now, 
he would soon rise and be exalted by God the Father himself and be given a kingdom of authority, power, dominion. It was not lost on Caiaphas, my friends, that Jesus was saying he is and will be the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what Caiaphas heard. It was this same message that the 12 apostles went through the world commissioned to tell, that Jesus was declared the Son of God by rising from the dead. The word apostle itself means one sent with a commission. We are all disciples, aren't we? Disciples of Jesus Christ. But there were 12 apostles, Jesus' followers, who had been with him and had witnessed his resurrection. Their job was to go throughout the earth and bear witness to that resurrection. We see it several places in Acts 1, where Judas needs to be replaced by a twelfth man. We read this. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so Matthias was chosen through the drawing of lots. In Acts 23, verse 6, Paul, we read, is before the very same Sanhedrin council that Jesus made his great confession. And he says this, perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Second Peter 1.16, Peter tells us, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I want to make sure I'm being clear that the, the job of the apostles was to go bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Am I being clear? Thank you. Now I'd like you to look at Romans 1, verses 1 through 5. Just one more point on this. Paul is describing his own apostleship, and I want you to pay attention to, especially to verse 4. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And this is the line I want you to catch. Who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus 
Christ our Lord. Paul says Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The first phrase of Jesus then before Caiaphas, I am and you shall see the Son of Man was clearly a declaration of his lordship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second phrase was a proclamation of his power. You will see me seated at the right hand of power. As I got into this message, I I was amazed at how many scriptures talk about Jesus Christ being seated at the right hand of God. They are everywhere, and we'll be looking at them as we go on. Seated at the right hand of someone has historically meant a position of authority, a position of honor, of dignity, and of power and majesty. One pastor, a man named Everett McCoy, looked in vain for references to the left hand of God in the scriptures. He found nothing, no reference to the left hand of God. But the right hand of God was filled with blessings and power. He notes that God created with his right hand. Isaiah 48, 13, My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. He swears by his right hand. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. Isaiah 62, 8. He saves with his right hand. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Psalm 98, 1. He judges with his right hand. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Righteousness is in his right hand. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Those that follow him, we ourselves, are in his right hand. Isn't that comforting? My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. That's Psalm 63, 8. And then this one you'll recognize. Pleasures forevermore are in his right hand. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, the line we are focused on is, and you shall see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. And yes, indeed, he has sat down. One book that is especially um, pointed about this reality is the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a book that talks about the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the exalted nature of Christ, So let's look at a few scriptures that talk about Christ being seated at the right hand of God. First of all, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the world. And then this beautiful verse, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And then one we also love is Hebrews 12, about the great cloud of witnesses. Listen to this one. Since therefore we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and what? Has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Also in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Is there any question where Jesus Christ is? He is seated at the right hand of God. I've always loved the story of Stephen, his martyrdom, his defense before the council, the Sanhedrin. So we have Jesus giving the great confession Then we have Stephen giving the great confession again to the Sanhedrin uh, a year to three years later. And then we have Paul in front of the same group saying, I am on trial for the resurrection of the dead. Stephen, as you know, gave an extended defense uh, in front of the council and the high priest in Acts chapter 7. And as he's nearing the end of his defense, he sees the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Let me read this. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Not sitting, but standing. One wonders, why was Jesus standing? Why did Stephen see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? One commentator said it was because of his eager interest in what Stephen was proclaiming in front of the Sanhedrin that day. Another one said he was standing out of honor for his heroic witness. I don't know why Jesus was standing, but I had not noticed before that under the full leading of the Holy Spirit, Stephen uses the expression Son of Man rather than Son of God. This is the only time in the New Testament 
that it's uttered by human lips, that expression, after Jesus' ascension. And so Stephen, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, is basically replicating what Jesus said before Caiaphas at his own trial. Amazing how consistent and powerful and wise our God was and is. And then note the reaction of the council in verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears. They rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we already saw in years coming would stand before that same council witnessing the same truth that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Hallelujah! Oh, my friends, where is Jesus Christ? He is seated at the right hand of power. The third great phrase in our text was Jesus saying that Caiaphas would see him coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a reference to judgment. Remember, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man, was a declaration of his lordship. Seated at the right hand of God was a proclamation of his power. But here we have coming with the clouds of heaven, which is a very sure promise of his judgment. After his resurrection, he first appeared to those who had believed in him, who had followed him, and loved him. Acts 1.3 states at the hand of Luke, the historian, to these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things of the kingdom of God. Did you know that the Bible claims 15 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus Christ? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he appeared to 500 people at one time, many of whom are still alive, as if begging his readers or hearers to say, if you want to check it out, talk to them. Talk to them. His body had unique features, didn't it? It could walk through walls. It could eat. His body could conceal his appearance. He had scars. Do you remember in front of Doubting Thomas, Jesus said, put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Be not unbelieving. Be believing. These resurrected appearances resulted in transformed lies. Lives. Doubting Thomas, Jesus the Lord's brother, Paul on the Damascus Road, and even we ourselves, along with countless generations and myriads of souls, have experienced the living Savior risen and glorified in our hearts. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. One final day, Christ shall come with a trumpet, trumpet sound and a shout, and we will all be raised to a final judgment. There, we are told, will be two kinds of people, those surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and those who, like ravenous dogs, continue to snarl and bite 
at the commanding right hand of the master. Psalm 2 tells it like it is. I love this psalm. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Think about that leader of Al-Qaeda. The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Jumping down to verse 10. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. I love the RSV uh, version of Psalm 211a. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling, kiss his feet. With trembling, kiss his feet. My precious friends, God is not, he will not be mocked. Amen? He will not be mocked. His judgment is swift and sure. He is coming with the clouds of heaven. Before we leave this lofty vision, I want to make one more point because we cannot help but exult in the fact that his victory is our inheritance. His victory is our inheritance if we will but believe wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 says it in a beautiful, beautiful way. Let me turn there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. What are those blessings? that God has given us. He's given us forgiveness of sins, hasn't he? He's given us eternal life. He's given us peace with God. He's given us no condemnation. He's given us the gift of his very self through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us his grace. He's given us a new family in each other. He's given us so much newness of life, even now. But there's one gift that I don't think we talk about enough, and that is that our true life has already been raised with Christ. Our true life, the Bible says, is hidden in Christ at the right hand of God where Christ is. Just 
A few more verses. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That is a spiritual reality that is almost, well, not almost, it's too wonderful to grasp. And yet, nevertheless, God is telling us that it's true, that our true life as a believer is already raised up with Jesus Christ. Our true life is hidden with Christ or in Christ at the right hand of God. So today we celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. Aren't you glad we don't need to be confused or wonder or question where he is? The real question is, where are we? Where are we? Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Have you made God your refuge? Might I ask you just to maybe bow your heads and think of these questions. Have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Are you seated with Him in the heavenly places? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and do you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? Has there been a time in your life of trembling and astonishment has come upon you? Have you heeded the warning and kissed His feet? Are you one of the blessed ones who has not seen and yet believed? I want to pray this morning for any who have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You would like to be seated at the right hand of God with Christ and in Christ. There might be some as well who are uncertain. They, some believers fight the assurance of salvation. And yet 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. Maybe you want to just publicly stand and say, I belong to Jesus Christ. I want to publicly stand and say, I belong to Jesus Christ. If, if any of those are of the Holy Spirit, not just your will, but the Holy Spirit is sparking you to do that, would you stand? I want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you in any way. I, just pray that you would stand and receive all that God has for you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for these who are standing. I happen to know that those who are standing know you, Lord, 
as their Lord and Savior. And so we just thank you that they are standing to further declare that they belong to you, O God. Father, we join them in saying we are so grateful that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters, that you rose from the dead, that you would declare the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you that we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised you from the dead. For the heart believes resulting in righteousness and the mouth confesses resulting in salvation. Father, thank you that you have beautified us with the gift of your salvation. We bless these who are standing, Lord. You know their hearts. Hear their prayers. God, answer their prayers as they stand before you unashamed. And we give you all the glory and all the power in Jesus' wonderful name. Hallelujah and amen. You can be seated. I want to, in closing, read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through 21. Just four verses. This is a prayer that Paul prayed uh, for the Ephesian church. Listen for Christ seated at the right hand. Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. Jim, can we stand together as we prepare to dismiss?